Good morning. Is everyone ready for Thursday of this week? Oh, that wasn't, I'm not believing that for one second. Is everyone ready for Thursday this week? Okay. How many of you are like myself, that they eat the turkey and they fall asleep with the football game and then your kids wake you up? Oh, that's just me? Okay. All right, let me pray to get us started, but I figure Thanksgiving's a great week. We get to talk about a contented life and Thanksgiving and what that means today, so I'm excited for that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we're going to get into your word in, in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be able to, to look at what it means to be content. Many of us walked in this morning, and we're discontent with something. We're not happy where we're at. We're not satisfied. We're not joyful. And, and Lord, just pray that this morning would be a morning where you open up our hearts and our minds to what your word says, to the joy that we can have. Those of us that do have that joy, that excitement, as we came this morning, Lord, make it even greater and larger in our lives. Because when we have that joy that comes from you, we cannot be defeated by anything that happens to us. We say this all in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here this morning, the week of Thanksgiving, which I'm really, really excited about. We, we used to, when I, was, when I was younger, my parents did something the week before Thanksgiving, and some of you have heard this before, but we did something called the stomach expansion because we were preparing for Thanksgiving. So we'd eat Thanksgiving food a week before to prepare our stomachs to expand for all the turkey we were going to eat. So any, any, you guys should think about doing that. I renamed it Friendsgiving because it's more like politically correct. So we call it Friendsgiving now instead of, you know, the stomach expansion. So today we're going to be in the book of Philippians. If you have our app, you can actually click the link at the top and it goes directly to the event with uh, our notes. The series is called Joy Full. So what does it mean to have a contented life? We're going we're gonna to talk today about what it means to be full of joy and content and generous. So today we're going to talk about being content always. So how many of you at the beginning of this year turned on Netflix and binge watched or watched Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? Nobody? Yeah, okay. I didn't either. Oh, 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 some people raised their hands. Okay. So Tidying Up with Marie Kondo was this Netflix show that came out January 1 of this year, at the beginning of the year. There were a lot of things about the show that caused it to be a cultural phenomenon. Marie Kondo is from Japan. She doesn't speak very clear English. In fact, half the show, she's translated from Japanese, so you don't really know what she's saying for sure. But if you don't believe me that it was a cultural phenomenon, because I saw very few hands stand up here, the, the first week that that show came out, donations at Goodwill across the country in metro area cities went up 66%. Okay? Pretty significant. Then, Goodwill, over the January-February term, where people were still watching the show, because there's eight episodes, you know, not everyone just binge-watched the whole thing, 10 to 20%, depending on the city that you were in. Goodwill donations across the board went up more than 10%, just because this one show. They, they attribute it to this one show. And the main premise of the show was you take every item, you pick it up. So it's like you're taking your jacket, and you kind of snuggle with it. This is why the show's weird. Just if you've watched it, it's a little weird. So you snuggle with your shirt or whatever, and in, in every individual item, and you look at it, and if it doesn't spark joy in your life, 
You get rid of it. You say thank you and then get rid of it. You give it away, which I think is very interesting. I'd, I, I'd like to see how that works with kids. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> they spark joy in my life all the time. So basically her premise is that we need to be content with less and, and really the reason it resonated with so many people is because I think we need joy in our lives. We're not living lives with joy. Why would so many people just go and give away their stuff? And then she basically gave the reason. Because if it doesn't spark joy, just get rid of it. You know, if that's something old. And she talks about going through sentimental items. So you keep sentimental items because they give you joy. But, but just in general, that old shirt that doesn't fit you anymore. Why don't you just get rid of it? And so I think... There's another need that's here. We need to be content with less and more, no matter what we have or we don't have. Because Paul in Philippians chapter 4 comes in and says, guess what the key to being content always is? It's joy. Because if you have joy, it doesn't matter what possessions you have, what you have around you. And so I think there's a difference, though. Marie Kondo, she was really, really smart. Why would a Japanese woman have a Netflix show in America and not barely speak a lick of English. Because her premise was that we receive joy from our possessions. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your joy comes from Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from what you own or what you have. And so she locked into something in our culture that, oh, if I get joy from my possessions, I should keep them. So this idea that what we have matters more. But Paul in Philippians 4 makes it very clear that that's not what's really going on. That's not true joy. That's a joy that can be taken away from you. Imagine you lose everything in Marie Kondo's world. You have no joy. The other thing I thought was ironic is she's telling you to give away all your stuff. And I had this happen. I researched it, and I had someone tell me this morning, she's got a store to sell you stuff. So she's trying to get rid of your stuff, but then she's selling you stuff. Like, it's kind of just counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. Let's look at Philippians 4. Let's look at what Paul says, starting in verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. What he says here, and we're going to read through verse 9, and then I'll read the uh, later section through 13 in just a few seconds. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Anyone ever sing that as a kid? Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, don't make me sing. Sorry. I mean, you guys are going to want your tickets back. Um, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, finally, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to talk about the last phrase in a second, but it just struck me as I was reading that. Think about it. If you walked in the door this morning and you're a human being, you want the God of peace with you. We all have like lives where things are, are, are going out of control. We want the God of peace, and he's telling us we can have that. So he starts by saying, we are to be rejoicing. It's meant to be as clear as possible. He's repetitive. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a command. It's repeated. So joy leads, and we'll see this right after this, joy leads to being reasonable. 
If we're following Jesus, we can't help but have joy. It's like we're jumping up and down and we're clicking our feet, which I'm really not good at. Okay? It's like we're just ready to go. You ever see a movie? Like, Singing in the Rain, it's a classic, which... If you're under 18, you probably haven't seen it, but I've seen it a ton of times. And singing in the rain, there's this scene where the guy is just so happy. He's out in the rain, and he's running, and he runs around lampposts, and he's singing, and he's like super joyful. And I look at that, and I'm like, that's what we should be like. We should be so excited about Jesus that, you know what, we don't really care how we look, but we're talking about him, or we're sharing about him. We're excited. And then maybe we show up on Sunday mornings, and we sing really loud and a few of us are off key because we have joy maybe it's just me that's off key we're excited about that we also need to be known for being reasonable this means we're insisting we're not necessarily insisting on every every letter of the law or custom you know someone walks in the door and they're not dressed right for church I don't think Jesus rejects people on how they're, they're dressed. Like, we need to be more like him with that, being reasonable. We're, and the word there, reasonable, really means gentle. So we need to be gentle to others. Looking at situations and realizing someone else might be going through something that we don't know. So that goes back to some of the questions we've asked the last few weeks is, just be curious. Just ask. You know, if someone's grumpy, they're probably grumpy for a reason. I've never met someone that's angry for no reason. I mean, there's people that get angry quicker, but they're always angry for a reason. Be known as a gentle and reasonable person. And why do we act this way? What does it say right after that? Because Jesus is coming back soon. There's, there's this urgency. You know, sometimes we get really frustrated, right? You're in the drive-thru line at McDonald's, and it's taken 45 minutes. And you're like, what is going on up there? Jesus must have come back in this time. There's something going on. Like, can't they just make my, my burger? What is going on? With Christians, with our joy, there's an urgency about it. If you're not living life right now with the right kind of urgency, what's going to happen is you're going to head to burnout. It doesn't mean do everything. It means do things that God's calling you to do. Urgency that comes from Jesus is one that transforms our character. And some of that urgency is very slow. It takes time. It, it's kind of like, like whittling a piece of wood. You just like slowly whittle at the wood, and it takes a long time, and eventually it comes to shape, and you realize, oh, this is what it looks like. That's how God kind of works on our character. He refines us. Urgency that transforms character is slow, but we always need to be focus, focused on worshiping him. What's, what's next in, in, in the next verse right here is one of the most often quoted verses in the entire Bible. We have two of those in this chapter 4 that I'm going to cover. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. There's no, like, there's nothing to be anxious about. I came in this morning with anxiety. Like, there's things I'm, like, anxious about. I'm, like, thinking, God, what are you telling me? Nothing to be anxious about. There's nothing, anything. But in everything, there's no reason not to... By prayer and supplication. That just means go to, go to God with prayer. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Super simple. It's super simple. Everything you need to go to God about. He, there's, no, there's no like disclaimer. There's no, I'm not going to go to God because I did something and I don't think he's forgiven me about it. No, you're going to go to God about everything. 
Joyful people don't have the room to be anxious. When you're, when you're at your peak joy in your life, you don't have room to be anxious. But, and here's a big but, but anxiety presents itself in all people depending on the situation. Everybody can get anxious. Everybody can. And that's why anxiety, anxiety, what was that? Anxiety is a joy thief. It can suck the joy out of a room. You ever heard that phrase? Like, you ever, you ever walk in a room and you realize, well, there's one person in here that really doesn't want to be in here. And, and we should be thinking like, hey, anxiety, get out of my room. <laughs> but the difference is, anxiety sucks the joy out of a room. It stops joy from entering your life. When anxiety comes, not if anxiety comes, we're all called to go to God. So this is, a, this is when it's going to come. It's not an if. Sometimes we look at this and we say, well, I've been to a doctor. They never told me I had anxiety. Well, anxiety happens to everybody. And, and we need to tell him our anxious thoughts, being thankful for who God is and how he loves us and knows our future, knowing when we all meet him. He knows, you know, this is what's important. I've had people tell me, why, do I, why, do, why should I pray? If God already knows, why should I pray? Because he wants a relationship with us. You know what? He wants a relationship with us. It's, it's very simple. He wants to hear how we feel. And this is, this is important. If you're struggling with anxiety, anxiety is projecting your present depression or your past depression on your future. It's saying, because this happened at this time, it's going to happen here. This is going to happen in the future. It's saying, oh, I had this accident as a kid, and now I'm going to have it in the future, it's going to happen again. Or it's going to, it's, I lost all this money because I invested bad, so I'm never going to invest again. Concern is reasonable. And that goes back to being a reasonable follower of Jesus Christ. Concern is reasonable. Anxiety is taking what should be in God's hands and putting it in your own. And saying, I'm the only one that's in control here. And guess what? It's, it's anxiety causing to even think like that. We are taking things in our own hands instead of putting it in the hands of the one that has the most power. Three times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says the command, do not be anxious. Matthew chapter 6, he's just, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, Jesus, that's really hard. You know, where's that line? But what does God promise here? I think this is what we need to hear this morning. What does God promise when we're anxious? If we come to him with our anxiety, what does he come with? Peace. Peace is the remedy for anxiety. Peace is the remedy. Because when you're anxious and your thoughts are all over the place, God comes in and says, take a deep breath. Calm down. What kind of peace? It's not just any peace. We think of peace and we think of you know, just, just calming down. But this kind of peace is the peace that guards your heart, your mind from anxiety. It guards you, guards you from everything that you are desiring. God says, I will give this to you. Pray, ask of me. And where does it come from? Jesus Christ. Where does that, that peace come from? Peace from God. Peace is from God. Anxiety is not. 
So it, 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 we try, sometimes try to do this. Anxiety is most often us relying too much on our, fu- our future, like relying on ourselves for our future. And we're thinking, I can do this. I can figure this out. I'm going to, and it, there's a lot of eyes, but when we realize that peace is totally different than that, then we realize that peace only can come from God in this case. Many people, if you, if you don't think, if you're sitting here and you're like, Pastor John, I'm not really anxious. I've never been an anxious person. I don't worry about anything. I just kind of just live life. Think about this for people that are a generation even newer than me, generation Z, Y, you know, any, any different name. Many people have said this generation is more anxious than ever. Many studies, most studies, it's because of the rise of social media and technology. And I think... There's a reason for this, I think, because, because every study says the same thing, and yet they won't say it's a problem. We're making ourselves anxious because we're hoping we can be like what's on a screen. We're hoping that we can look like this person, or we can do this, or we do that, and kids are growing up with this image thing where they're anxious because, am I ever going to be able to be an Instagram star? Am I ever? And it's like, it's not realistic. It's just not. And so you go, you go and you, you, there's whole people that are celebrities that cater to teenagers, and all they do is focus on posting pictures all the time. You know, recently I looked at a vacation website, and the advertisements, this was, this was funny to me. I'm getting too old, okay? So young people, you can laugh at me about this. I go on the vacation website, and every advertisement I saw said, you will get an Instagram-worthy picture. I was like, what? I don't even think about that stuff. Like, what, what are they talking about? And it was specifically, it was like a Caribbean thing or something. But I'm like, still, like, who cares? And we can only have joy in all things if we forget those things. And we put this into practice. If we put, have joy in all things, it will lead to contentment and peace in our hearts and our minds rather than anxiousness. God's peace protects our thoughts and our emotions. Through Jesus Christ. And I was, I, was, I was preparing for the sermon, and I got to these last two verses in this section, verses 8 and 9, and I thought, what do all these mean? What does it mean to think about all these things? This is a huge list. This is hard. This is difficult. And it really means something very simple. This joy that he's talking about in verse 4, joy is devoted to God. Joy is devoted to God. It's focused on what God calls followers of Jesus to to do, to be. It's to be known as true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and that you praise God. Think about these things. Write them in your house. Anybody have scripture written on the wall of their house? Like, whether it's stickers, post-it notes. Any post-it notes? Those are really fun. Okay. Write it on your house. I almost fell off the stage. I was so excited about that. Write it somewhere. Wake up in the morning. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put scripture around you. Surround yourself with the things that are of God because that's what Paul's telling us to do and that's where our joy comes from is from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from him and nowhere else. I'm getting too excited. Spend the majority of your time focused on those things. And I bet you, I'm not a doctor, but I bet you'll be less anxious. You're going to be a lot less anxious. Don't get distracted 
be focused. You know how distracting it is as a parent? Like, I got kids running laps around me, and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I can't read a book. I can't do anything. I'm like trying to figure out which kid is upside down, and then when kids cry, we love this at our circle. It's like, okay, a kid's crying. Which, which family? Which family? We can't figure out who's crying because there's all the kids. They kind of cry the same. Sorry, you know, if you think otherwise, but you get distracted. But you got to stay focused. And when you see something, when you see these things in another person, say something. That's a phrase, see something, say something, was a phrase used in Russia to describe like reporting on people as communists. I'm telling you right now, don't do that. Don't think of it like that. Let's use this for God. Think about this. If you see honor, make a comment and encourage the other person. If you see purity, encourage that person in their pursuit of purity. If you see something, say something. We should be on the lookout for truth, for justice, and for excellence. When someone does something good, no matter what the world says right now, when someone does something good, they deserve for someone to say, you did a good job. And guess what? It's because you were excellent. Not everyone can be that way about everything. We should encourage people to think about it, to say it, to live it out. And Paul's so confident of how important this is. Think about this. He's so important. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Oh, I said seen twice. Practice these things. I'm embarrassed to say this phrase because it's, it's commonly used. Practice what you preach. Don't go to your job this week. And say at some point you're a Christian and then turn around and, and tear other people down and gossip. It's, it's impossible to do that. Like my kids call me out. Sometimes I say what they call naughty words. So I use the word dumb, okay? I've used that. There's some people that have been in my house and I say something and I'm like, oh, ooh, you know? I say something and I'm like, oh, that wasn't good. Practice what you preach. If I want my kids to not say those things, i got to step up and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And so be godly, devoted people, like, like, be like godly, devoted people that have gone before you. And be a godly, devoted example to those becoming behind you. We are a multi-generational church. If I took a survey of ages, there'd probably be a couple people that are your age, but then there'd be people that are all kinds of different ages. The end results of these things. This is the end result. I'm going to ask a question. Are you living in such a way that people ask to follow you and to live like you? They ask, how do you do that? What are you doing? And you're able to say, come on, come alongside me. Let's do this together. Are you devoted to those things? In verse 8 and 9, and I encourage you this week, if you don't have scripture up on your wall, those are great places to start, verses 8 and 9. If you have anxiety, the verses, two verses before that are great to put up somewhere in your house, in your car, right on a business card, stick it, stick it in your car. The end result that God gives us is peace. If, if, we, are, if we are in pursuit of God and, and people are in pursuit of who we are because Paul was so confident in this, God's going to give us peace. So when those anxious thoughts come, Thanksgiving's really anxious. Anyone have, I mean, I'm not going to say a show of hands. 
When you see family at Thanksgiving, sometimes that can be a hard time. I'll be honest. I enjoy Thanksgiving. Um, this Thanksgiving is my first keto Thanksgiving, so that's going to be difficult. So I'm only going to eat turkey probably. This will be a little weird. Did someone say yes? Someone said yes. Oh. So Thanksgiving and Christmas is some of the most anxious times in the entire year. If you think about it, it's a time where you get to see people that you don't see very often. And some, some of us say in our head, well, I'm glad I don't see them very often. The heart of God is for you to be devoted to these things, so much so that when there's anxious thoughts in your mind, that you have the peace of God that transcends understanding in your life. So you go into that anxious moment at Thanksgiving with a relative that you're struggling to talk to, and he gives you peace. So you're not anxious, you don't say something that's hurtful, you don't, you don't put them down, you just are able to talk to them. Maybe even act like nothing ever happened. Because, because God is much bigger than our anxiety. We cannot forget that. Continuing in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, but I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know now how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That last verse is probably the most common verse that people quote in the entire book of Philippians. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But Paul right here, you wonder why he's saying he's content. Anyone, like, I, I, can, I can be content with this, I can be content with that. Paul is writing this letter from prison. Are any of you in prison right now? No, right? So you have your freedom. He has no freedom, and yet he's saying, I rejoice because you're just concerned about me. You couldn't help me, but you were concerned about me because I have joy in the Lord because I know the church cares about me. This is part of why they were concerned, because he was in prison, but they couldn't help but they were known for something. They were known for their concern for Paul. And Paul had this, this joy there that led to this contentment that couldn't be stopped. You know, it's really hard when everything that we are advertised in marketing tells us we don't have enough. We don't have what we need. And we, we, we lose that contentment. But I think there's a bigger problem. It's not about the advertising. It's definitely about the fact that we don't have joy sometimes. Because joy leads to contentment. When we have joy in the Lord, our hearts, it's like we don't need anything more. We have joy. We're excited. We don't start off content, though. And Paul tells us, he's like, he's like it's learned, it's practiced. Whether you are in need or not, it's who Paul's become. He's content in all things. If you came in this morning and you're listening to this and you're like, I'm never content or I want these 47 things for Christmas or whatever it is, when it comes down to it, Paul's not saying we've all attained perfect contentedness, but he is saying, I rejoice, I have joy in my life, and because of that, I've realized I can be content. This low position, high position, he's been humbled. You know, he was beaten. He was, all these things happened to him. He was in a high position. He was, Paul talks about his testimony before he followed Jesus. And he's like, I was a teacher of the teachers. I was, I was the Hebrew of all Hebrews. I went to church. I did all these things. And he was in this high position of leadership. 
He's like, no matter what I have now, whether I'm humbled, whether I'm praised, whether I'm not having anything, I don't have any resources or I have plenty, comes down to this last verse. Verse 13. It's often quoted by athletes. Verse 13 is so often quoted by athletes. I can win the game because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, we've been talking with this week, and I was talking with uh, Pastor Aaron here. There's like tons of people that have this tattooed on their chest, right? I can do all things through whom who strengthens me, you know? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's not even what that verse means. You live in poverty, and then you can tell me that. Like, that's not real. That's taking the verse out of context. We have to look at what Paul's situation was like. He's in jail. Christ can do anything in Paul, even in jail. You leave this morning, you get, you get arrested, you're in jail. Paul is just like you, and you can do anything. Because you can be content in that moment. Because we have Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the best at something. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, guess what? If I go out and run a marathon right now, I'm going to pull a muscle. It's not going to happen. We can't do all things. We're not, it, 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 we, whether we win or lose, we need to be content in Jesus Christ. It's not a Superman cape. This verse is not a Superman cape. It's a pair of glasses helping us focus on Jesus rather than anything else in this world. That's what, that's what the joy is, the contentedness. It's we're focused. We think we're wearing a cape, and in reality, God's giving us some lens, some glasses. Think about what's honorable. Think about what's true, because you can have everything in the world but lose your soul. Our identity is found through Jesus Christ and through his strength. There's no other way. When we focus on Jesus, we can be content with anything. I, I'm up here preaching, but this is a sermon I needed to hear myself. Because the reality of this is, it's really easy to lose your joy. You know, before I came to church this morning, Satan was really trying to help me lose my joy. And I came and everything, everything was resolved and it was great. And I sat here and I go, why is it that Sunday mornings, for whatever reason, as a pastor, I feel like I'm getting attacked all morning. And it came down to this. It came down to this. If my focus is off of Jesus, and I come up here, and I speak, and I, I, I read you the word of God, and I preach the word of God, it doesn't mean anything if Jesus isn't the center of the focus. So this morning, so, so what? What does this mean? Because joy is reasonable. Anxiety is not. It robs us of joy. It's a thief. It steals everything out of your life. I can think of so many common things that we get anxiety about. I've made so many jokes about teenage drivers. When you first get your keys, the parents are anxious because they're like, oh no, they're on the road. Well, at that point, you have almost no control over what's going to happen to them except for to train them as a good driver. Like, that's about it. You know what? Another thing that robs us of our joy is sometimes we're anxious about the unknown. You know, when, you're, when you see a child be born and then you realize oh no, there's something wrong. You get really anxious. 
And that's the way we, we get robbed of the joy of the fact that God created that life. We lose, we lose sight of what that looks like. And maybe you've never had a child, but why does everyone want to hold babies? They're so beautiful, right? They're cute when it comes down to it. And this is what's most important. This Thanksgiving season, this, this Christmas season, I would encourage you to, to mold this to what, what, essentially, do this in your life. Joy is to devoted to God and it's content. Joy is devoted to God. Devotion is that focus. We lose sight of the things around us. We have one sole goal, and that's to worship Jesus. And we worship Jesus by loving others, taking care of others, looking and seeing opportunities. But when it comes down to it, when it really comes down to it, we got to put on those glasses the lens. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can give sacrificially. I can, I can, I can do everything I possibly can to mend relationships this Thanksgiving. I can talk to family members I haven't talked to in years. I can grieve the loss of someone that, that I have dealt with this, just this year. I can look and try to find that estranged relative that I haven't talked to. Whatever it is, when you put those lenses on, don't forget that your joy is not because you, you did something. It's not because your possessions. It's because Jesus Christ did something for you in the first place. Don't forget that this Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us as a church that you would open our eyes, that you would allow us to see through the lens of being able to do all things through Jesus Christ. That when we say there is not a relationship that can be reconciled, when we say that this person is always gonna be this way, God, help us to realize that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and there is nothing that can get in the way of life change, of transformation. And as this passage says, help us to be a church that is thinking about the things of God. Help us to be like Paul who said, follow me. Be like me as I follow Jesus Christ. Don't let us forget that this Thanksgiving. Lord, help, help us as a church to see ways we can do that. We say all this in Jesus' name.